If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, this is our last episode of 2017. It's uh, It's been a pretty awesome year, I have to say. We we all know we just won the SEC title for the first time since 2005. We're in the college football playoffs, so kind of pinching myself for that. Recruiting is at an all-time high, as highlighted by the early signing period last week and our success during that period. Uh, the basketball team has even gotten off to one of its better starts in recent years. We've normally had some trouble here in the non-conference. kind of held, uh, kind of held us out of the the tournament conversation of the past couple years, but we've gotten up to a 9-2 and start in the non-conference as we head into the conference play against Kentucky on New Year's Eve. And on a personal note, our humble little show here and our listener base, I mean, it's, it's grown pretty significantly from this point last year. And, and guys, we have all of you out there to thank for that. Really, that's, that's, that's what it's about. It's about you guys taking time of your day to tune in the show. We say it a lot, but, but that's because we mean it. We are extremely grateful for each and every one of you supporting our show and sharing your thoughts with us. We respect and appreciate all of you. Uh, It's definitely not easy, guys. It really isn't, producing this show each week. I I mean, it really does, guys. It takes some serious time and effort to produce the content that we think you guys would be interested in, especially when you have a full-time job to go along with it. But we do it uh, because we're just like you guys. we, We live and breathe this stuff. And we want to share our passion with all of you. And um, our plans are to continue to do so. And we're really excited to kind of see what the next year has in store for us here on the Glory UJ podcast. So if you do enjoy the show, please help us spread the word. Tell a friend, rate and review the show, share it on social media. And we will continue to try to do our part to produce quality dog-centric content for all of you guys out there. But... Again, just wanted to make sure all of you know that we sincerely, sincerely appreciate each and every one of you taking time to listen to our show. It's kind of surreal to think that there's like even one or two people that want to listen to a a couple of idiots here talking Georgia football. So we really appreciate it, guys. Uh, But that's not what you all tuned in to listen to today. We have much more pressing matters coming up in Pasadena, California on New Year's Day. We all know that. So today's episode will be our official Rose Bowl preview edition of the show. But first, just a few quick reminders. Uh, if you're if you're not following us on Twitter, you can definitely do so at Glory underscore UJ. I've had a really good time in the past week here, uh, interacting with a lot of you uh, on Twitter, on social media, uh, particularly about the the Rose Bowl matchup coming up. You guys have a lot of great thoughts, and definitely appreciate that. And if you're if you're uh, if you've been on the fence, and you kind of follow us and you haven't interacted, please feel free to share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say as well. 
And for some of our newer listeners, if you're tuning in for one of the first times, just want to make sure everyone knows that you can find us on a bunch of different podcasting platforms out there. Of course, the big ones, iTunes, SoundCloud, you can find us there. Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. Also, you can find us on dollarsforceradio.com where we got started a couple years back. We're definitely still going strong there. Uh, you can d- download their app to your smartphone. Just go to the App Store and uh, look up Dog Sports Radio. You should be able to download that app make it easy for you guys to access the show. All right, Curtis. Enough with that. Let's go ahead and start talking some ball. There is uh, there's so much to talk about with this game. And I, I spent the last few weeks as we've kind of been prepping for this show trying to figure out where to even start the conversation because there really there's just so many layers to this game. And ultimately, what we decided to do is kind of take this in a little bit of a different direction than what we do with our typical game preview shows. And that's because this, I mean, obviously, we all know this is not just any typical game. This is the Rose Bowl. This is the college football playoff, a game that will be played essentially a month after our last game. And anytime you have that lengthy of a break between games, you start to see certain narratives begin to take root. I mean, you see this in any typical game week, even when you have just one week to talk about the game. But when you have a full month, the narratives kind of seem to even more deeply take root in the collective college football consciousness. So we're going to attack this today by taking a look at a few of the more popular narratives and discussing whether we should really buy into them or not. And as we discuss these narratives, we'll also dig into the Oklahoma offense, Oklahoma defense, the matchups here, and talk and really just dig into this game. Our goal here, as always, guys, is to give you as comprehensive of a look at this game as you will find anywhere. So, Kurt, let's go ahead and get into this, man. And the first narrative I want to talk about, again, these are narratives that, that you all, I'm sure, have heard in the past month since the SEC Championship game. And we're going to start with this one, Kurt. The first narrative is this. The Oklahoma offense is good, but the Big 12 just doesn't play any defense. And they haven't seen anything like our defense, and we will be able to slow them down because of that. Kurt, are you buying that narrative? Um, I don't think, I'm not really buying it. I mean, in all honesty, even if our defense played lights out, you're going to see Baker, Baker's going to get his yardage. They're going to get 20 to 30 points, even if we played lights out defensively. I tend to agree with you, uh, and I, I included this narrative because this is something I, I, mean, I know message boards aren't the best example to look at, but talking to friends, looking at message boards, just kind of just listening to people talk over the past month or so, there there are genuinely a lot of people out there in the Georgia fan base that are just convinced that Oklahoma's offense is entirely overrated and they're just going to roll in there and completely shut them down. I, I know that's not everybody that thinks that way, but there are a lot of people that, that are buying that, and I just, I'm with you, Kurt, I don't really buy that, uh, you know. Last week, I, I put together a little Rose Bowl by the Numbers show, just going through all the stats. So I'm going to run through just a couple of those real quick. And not all of them, but just a couple of them. And kind of put this into context for any of you who might have missed that show. Just kind of illustrate for you how good this Oklahoma offense really is. They're number one in total offense at 583 yards a game. But they're also number one in yards per play at 8.44 yards per play. And to put that in a little more perspective, not only are they number one in yards per play nationally, they are almost a full yard more than the second-ranked uh, second team in the nation, which is UCF. UCF is at 7.6 yards per play. Oklahoma is at 8.44. Whereas Louisville, who's number three in yards per play, is at 7.57. There's a huge gap, a much bigger gap between number one, Oklahoma, and number two, UCF, than there is between number two, UCF, and number three, Louisville. So Oklahoma, yes, guys, they are legit. They average 12 yards per pass attempt. Again, another full yard and a half more than UCF does, who's number two again in that in a different stat category there. Uh, Baker Mayfield is fourth nationally in passer rating, second nationally with 41 touchdowns on the year. 
they're incredibly explosive. They have 55 plays of 30-plus yards on the year. Again, number one in the country. Uh, if you look at some of the advanced stats, they're number one in success rate. They're number one in passing S&P+. Plus, number one in rushing S&P+. Plus, number one in ISO PPP, which is the advanced statistical measure of explosiveness. And number one on standard downs. And number one on passing downs. So that offense, guys... I know the Big 12, there are a lot of teams in that conference that don't play much defense. With the Baylor, with the Kansases, there are a lot that don't really pay, play much defense. But that Oklahoma offense is legit, all right? And I, I do want to kind of touch on this idea they haven't faced anyone worth anything defensively. They've actually played four defenses in the top 31 in, in the S&P+. Plus. They, they've played, faced Ohio State at number 11, TCU at number 14, faced them twice, Texas at 26, and Iowa State at 31. And they put up... Uh, 490 yards on Ohio State, who's number 11. TCU, they put up 533, then 461. Texas, they put up 518. Iowa State, they put up 513. Now, Kurt, would you say, are we better defensively than all of those teams? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we are. I, I do agree with that. I think that we are the best teams they faced. Uh, can we have success against them? Yes, I think we can have some success defensively against this Oklahoma defense, or this Oklahoma offense. But saying that, and I've been saying this on Twitter the past week or so, talking to some people, I think we have to redefine what success what success is against this offense. This was a team, an offense, that was held under 30 points only one time against Texas. They had 29 points against Texas. They were not held to less than 461 yards of total offense in any one given game. And they put up over 600-plus yards seven different times. So, Kurt, if you're trying to define what success is for our defense against this Oklahoma offense— what is the number, the, the yardage total, and the scoring number that you would look back into the game and say, you know what, our defense did their job and gave us a chance to win? Where would you put those numbers at? Um, I think if you hold them to anything under 30, I think scoring-wise. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly what I've got. For total yardage, uh, if you kept them around 400. 400? I, I, yeah, I can, I, can, I can basically go with that. I'm, I'm with they, you. They, they average about 583 yards yeah. a game. 583, so, yeah. I feel like if you kept them anywhere in the four to four fifty range, then you have a good shot to win. Yep, I'm with you. I got that's exactly what I have in mind. Is like that if you hold them under four fifty total yardage and under thirty points, I think our defense has done their job and will give us a chance to win. Um, but yeah, I, I, just this idea that they haven't played any good defenses—that's just not true. They have played good defenses, right? Ohio State's number eleven, uh, TCU's number fourteen. Are we better than those defenses? Sure. But only marginally. We're not head and shoulders significantly better than Ohio State or TCU defensively. If you look at the statistics, if you look at the S&P, the advanced statistics, we're number 8 nationally in S&P plus defense. Ohio State's number 11. TCU's number 14. Sure, yeah, we're the best defense they face, but not by as as great a degree as a lot of people out there want to make it out to be. It's just not the case at all. And against all those pretty good, those really good defenses they face, Oklahoma's had plenty of success. They've done just pretty much whatever they want to do offensively for the most part. Uh, now, Kurt, before we move on to the next narrative here that will deal with the match between our offense and the Oklahoma defense, let's stick with the Oklahoma offense just for a few more minutes. I want to talk about them a little bit more in detail here because this is an outstanding unit that we're going to have to match up against. Uh, we have, like, I, like we've done so far here, we've established that they are clearly the number one offense in the country. But beyond just the, the numbers, Kurt, what is it that makes this Oklahoma offense so good? I think the biggest thing about them is their big play capability. Isn't it horrifying? That I mean, that that's really what it is. Twelve we yards per pass attempt—that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, because they don't—they don't put together many long drives. It's really a quick hit. It you know, go deep or nothing really, more or less for them. Yeah, it's. I mean, fifty-five plays of thirty-plus yards on the year. I mean, far and away, number one in the country. That's this is a highly explosive offense, and that's 
that's I mean that's seriously concerning for me. Uh, for me, what I would say I, I totally agree with you about their explosiveness. But one of the things that really makes this offense so good in my mind is that they are just simply so versatile. And they are good all over the field. Not only are they number one in passing S&P Plus offense, which we all would would think, but they're actually number one in the country in rushing S&P Plus offense. So this is this is a team that can do it all. They actually run the ball. You don't you think about Oklahoma, you think about Baker Mayfield, and like you said, those explosive plays in the passing game. You definitely think about that because they get highlighted. They actually run the ball 52% of the time. So this is a team that can run the ball well. They can throw the ball well. Uh, you've got a, a, the the nation's uh, number one tight end, the Mackey Award winner tight end, Mark Andrews. You've got Marquise Brown, who's a deep throw on the outside. You've got Ronnie Anderson. You've got Trey Sermon in the back. You've got Baker Mayfield, who can throw the ball, can pick you apart that way. He also is a highly underrated runner. So the fact that they're just so versatile and can beat you in so many different ways offensively, to me, that's what makes them so difficult to think of. Can you defend all those things at one time? You really can't. You have to pick and choose what you defend. So, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the rushing offense, you got Rodney Anderson, who, by the way, guys, going into their, their uh, Big 12 title game, the last six games of the regular season, he led the Power 5 in yards from scrimmage. They also used true freshman Trey Summer from Georgia, a guy that we recruited a little bit, but we decided we went ahead and uh, and focused our attention on DeAndre Swift, as you can all see why. Uh, so, they, they, they can definitely do some things. Uh, in the running game, neither one of those guys, Anderson or Sermon, over a thousand yards on the year. You got Anderson at nine sixty, Sermon at seven sixty. Uh, they kind of split that time there. Anderson, right now, again over the last half of the season, has hit, he really became the guy. If you look at their their passing offense, you guys know all about Baker Mayfield. I don't want to go into too much detail with him, but you got the chain mover at tight end to Mark Andrews. You got multiple home run threats on the perimeter, led of course by Hollywood Brown, the JUCO transfer. He's averaging twenty yards a catch. Uh, he's got 981 yards in there, just just under a thousand, and he's the guy you really got to watch in the deep ball. He's just insanely fast. Uh, you got a couple other guys, CD Lamb, who's also averaging uh, close to 20 yards a catch at 18. You got Jeff Bedette, the, the Kentucky transfer, a bigger target, about 400 yards receiving. You can't forget about Dimitri Flowers. They kind of plays fullback for them. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife, jack of all trades, who runs the ball from time to time. They use him as a receiver out of the backfield. They just got so many weapons, and oh, by the way, they also have the Heisman Trophy winner running the show. So, as we said a second ago, as a defense, you just can't take away everything. So, whatever you choose to take away, they the Oklahoma offenses are so good, just across the board, they kind of just they adjust accordingly and hurt you with another aspect of their offense. You love to take away the run. Well, they torch you in the passing game down the field, like you mentioned with their explosiveness. You play with two high states to take away their, their explosive passing game. Well, then they gash you on the ground. You play man, and make, Mayfield will make you pay with his legs. You play zone, he's going to kill you with his accuracy throwing into those zones. You blitz, and he'll shred you where you're vulnerable. You play coverage, he's just going to pick you apart. So it's, it's a tough game plan to put together, Kurt. But if you are Mel Tucker, and you're Kirby Smart, Curtis, and you have the unenviable task of putting together a game plan to slow down this Oklahoma offense, how are you attacking them? How would you defend them? I mean, the first thing is, like I said, I think you really have to to make them drive the ball because if you give up the big plays, you make it easy for them. If you make them put, put together drives and keep everything in front of you, then you give yourself a fighting chance. It's much more difficult for them to go eight to ten plays as opposed to three to four plays, and more bad exactly. things can I mean, happen for them. That's the biggest thing too. If you if you don't give up the big plays, they go deep and you knock that you, you don't allow that a completion or something. Then you know you you're, you're able to fight again. Yeah, you live, you're, you live I mean, to find like against Auburn and some of these teams later in the season is a bend but don't break. I mean, especially in the SEC championship, like the couple of those drives where they're driving and then you get a strip and then you or you block a field goal. I mean, you gave yourself a chance to do something. One hundred percent, man. I, that's 
I think that's a key to this game is making them go the length of the field, sustain drives. Yes, we want to play keep away, but make them sustain drives. Uh, if you're, let me talk about pressuring Mayfield. I see a lot of people talk about over the past month. Here's here's another one of the narratives that we're just going to get our defensive front so is so good that we're just going to get after Mayfield. We're going to pressure him all day long. He's not going to know what hit him. Do you see it being that easy? Are we going to be able to get enough pressure on Mayfield to make him uncomfortable in the pocket? I don't know. I think to me, you almost attack him like you do, uh, like you did with Brandon Wimbush and people with a control pass rush on that mush rush. Yeah, yeah. That's like you said. I mean, he's more danger to extend the plays with his legs and than most people give him credit for. Yeah, that that's really what concerns me. Because on one hand, you're like, okay. If we if we bring the pressure at him and we get undisciplined, right? We create running lanes for Mayfield. He'll take off and he'll hurt us that way. But if you don't pressure him, if you don't come after him and let him just sit in the pocket, well, what's he going to do? He's just going to pick us apart, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. You got to decide what you want to do. I honestly, I, I don't know, man. He's the. The thing about blitzing him, he's the he is the most efficient quarterback in the country against the blitz. So it's a really scary idea to bring it, to bring a lot of pressure against him. So you would say, okay, well, if we don't want to bring pressure against him, let's rely on our defensive front to get pressure, right? But yeah. is our defensive front that kind of front to where we have this great natural pass rush to get after him? I don't think we do. No, I don't either. I don't think we have that type of, of natural pass rush, so I'm not sure we can, we can consistently pressure him that way. So then once you're left with back to square one, I guess you have to take your chances and blitz him. Uh, and now, I don't think... We're going to do this every single down, but we're going to have to bring pressure at the right times and try to get after him. And I think you're right, though. When we do that, uh, you've got to make sure that we're, we're coming with a more controlled pass rush. At least some guys kind of staying back with that mush rush and kind of closing down some of those rushing lanes that are created when you bring pressure like that. And here, the other aspect of this is, okay, if we do bring pressure, all right, if we try to manufacture pressure like we've done all year, bringing guys from different angles, bringing them from the – from the star position, from the corner, from the, the interior with uh, Roquan, bringing guys from different angles. If we do that, well, we're leaving our DBs very vulnerable against the best and most explosive passing offense in the country. And I don't know about you, I'm concerned about the matchup of their wide receivers and tight end on our DBs. Does that matchup concern you? Uh, a little bit. I mean, like, I don't know, man. Like, let's say, and I don't, we don't know what Malcolm Parrish's health is right now, but if the guy's healthy, he's out there throughout most of the game, I'm going to be on pins and needles watching him every single down that the Oklahoma's offense is out there. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. So I, so I think we do need to bring pressure, but then that also, again, that this is just you can't stop everything. You want to bring pressure to make him uncomfortable, but if you do, then you make yourself vulnerable to, to uh, pass it down the field. So what I think you got to do on the back end, it's the next part of this, on the back end, through most of the season, we have largely, I mean, we've played really, well, we've played a bunch of different coverages, but there's two main coverages we played throughout the year. We've got the cover three pattern match scheme, which is what Kirby kind of brought over from Alabama, where we rotate one of the two safeties into the box late and run support. But then we play cover three behind it, where the, where the cornerbacks have the ability to convert to man if the wide receivers are covering release vertical. Uh, so we've done that, and we've also played a lot of, t- of two deep man under, where you got two deep safeties defending the two deep halves, and then you play man underneath. I love the idea of two high safeties against Oklahoma to allow us to take away Andrews down the seam and Brown the perimeter. But if the man under, yeah, yeah the man under that that idea kind of scares me because of Mayfield's ability to tuck it and run. 
He, like I said earlier, he's very underrated as a runner from the quarterback position. If you turn your back in man, he's going to take off and kill you. He had a 56-yarder against TCU, had a, uh, a long run against Kansas State, and also against Oklahoma State. So me personally, I would prefer to run the more flexible kind of cover three pattern match uh, in on the early downs. But, you know, you know it, it's tough because even if you run that, if, if in that look, if the wide receivers release vertical, then we are in man. The corners are in man with those receivers. And at least one side of the field will be in one-on-one because we have only one deep safety. And that safety might even be occupied with the tight end Mark Andrews in the seam anyway. So I guess to kind of wrap up the game plan idea here, I would bring pressure, but as you said, Kurt, very controlled, disciplined rushing from the front so as to not create running lanes for Mayfield to exploit. you got to mix the coverage. You can't just run one coverage exclusively here. Mix them, but I would probably lean more towards the cover three pattern match on early downs because it allows us to get another body near line of scrimmage to defend the run with that safety that rotates down in the box. And it's also flexible enough to allow us to match up with whatever it is Oklahoma is doing offensively. And then kind of mix in some of that two-man on third and long. we got the two deep safeties back there to kind of guard against some explosives like you mentioned earlier. And again, you can't take away everything. So if you have to give them something, bottom line is I would rather give them the short and intermediate range and force them to sustain long drives down the length of the field as opposed to giving them the deep ball where they can hit those explosive plays down the field that is really what they thrive on. I think you have to make a team play left-handed and take away what they do best, and I just simply think that throwing the ball down the field is what Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield do best when it really gets down to it. So I, I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive. Typically the idea is, well, you want to make a team beat you vertically, prove that they can do it. Uh, but the, to me, Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma have proven they can do it game in and game out throughout this entire year. That's what they do best. Again, 54. Five plays of 30-plus yards down the field this year, and those kind of plays are debilitating. Those are momentum-swinging-type plays that we simply cannot allow to happen. We have to force them to go the length of the field. So to me, I know, again, it sounds kind of counterproductive here or counterintuitive, but I would give them the short intermediate game and try to take away the deep ball. All right, let's talk about the next narrative here. The next one I've heard a lot over the past month is this. Oklahoma may score a lot, but they won't be able to stop us because they haven't seen anything like our ground attack. Are you buying that narrative? Um, I think it will be help us control the game. I, I'm not completely buying the narrative, but I'm not completely turning it away because their offense, I mean, their defense has has holes. And um, But I think the thing is they're going to sell out to stop the run so much that we're going to have to use set up the rest of our offense. I agree. Do you come out, if you're Jim Chaney and company, do you come out running the football like we normally have, or do you come out with a little bit of a different game plan and start throwing the ball a little bit to loosen up the, I, the run I'm game? I'm going to actually kind of use the game plan we use since all we're trying to get the ball on the edge with our speed and our Boom. strength on the edge, and then also, you know, use that to set up the passing game. I 100% agree, man. If I'm looking at my game because, plan... I mean, like I said, the guys aren't huge. And our, our guys, if we can get them in space, I mean, people like Sony Swift and even Chubb, they're so big that if you give them in space, they're going to run through arm tackles and things like that. And but if, you, defense, if you go up the middle where they're going to try to gang tackle you, put eight in the box and stuff like that, then you don't have as big of a chance to break something. But if you're in space, they can try to get through some of those tackles. Absolutely. And one thing from watching this Oklahoma offense over the past couple weeks, this, or I'm sorry, this Oklahoma defense over the past couple weeks, they are a very poor tackling defense. They they have some athleticism, and they do fly to the football, but they do not tackle well, especially in space. And if you look at some of our guys, you got our guys matched up one-on-one in space. I like our chances more often than not. So I think that's that would be a great way to attack them. You know, honestly, I'm with this narrative, this idea that, 
you know, Oklahoma may put up some points, but they won't be able to stop us because they haven't seen anything like our ground attack. I tend to buy this a lot more so than I do that first year that the, the, the Oklahoma offense just hasn't seen anything like our defense. I really kind of do buy this because if you look at this Oklahoma defense statistically from that standpoint, statistically, this is the 11th best total defense we will have faced. If you look at the S&P Plus numbers, this is the 11th best defense we will have faced, all right? And in terms of rushing defense, this is the 6th best rushing defense, so right about average in terms of the, the teams that we face, the defenses that we face throughout the year. So, I mean, when you look at that, this Oklahoma defense is very similar to the defenses that, I mean, we basically, the defenses we did whatever we wanted to against, right? Like the, the Kentuckys of the world, the Missouris, they're very similar to that. Uh, Kansas State is probably the, the offense that Oklahoma's played this year that's closest to what we like to do. Kansas State, now they, we're not a, a spitting image of what Kansas State does offensively, but both Kansas State and, and, and us, Jim Chaney, we like to run the football from a power running perspective. Now, Kansas State uses their quarterback in, in that run game a little bit more, but still we both like to play power running football. And Kansas State put up huge numbers on the ground against Oklahoma. They had 268 yards rushing and, re- and really had Oklahoma beat until that fourth quarter, and they kind of let it get away there. Uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Kurt. Here's one thing I do want to mention. I've said this a couple of times on Twitter throughout the past couple of weeks. Would you agree with me if I said that out of all the different units in the college football playoffs, you look at Oklahoma, Georgia, uh, Alabama, and Clemson, look at each of those teams' offenses and defenses, those different units. I think our offense is the most underrated unit out of the offenses and defenses of all the teams in the college football playoffs. Yeah, I think uh, our efficiency is not being talked about enough. All you hear about is the you know the big play, the big play making, make Baker Mayfield, the rest of them, and you know Clemson, Bama, call about uh, Bama with Hurts and Clemson with uh, Bryant, things like that. But you don't, you're not really hearing when like if you watch the commercials for ESPN, all, all they talk about is the uh, Georgia defense, really. Yeah, it's it's well according to ESPN and, and the media powers that be, it's it's the this is entirely a matchup of the, of the Oklahoma offense for the Georgia defense, right? That's all they're talking about. And I think that the other side of the equation, the Georgia offense versus Oklahoma defense, I think this matchup might be what decides the game. Do you? Yeah, I do. I really do. Because, I mean, I think, like I said, our offense, I really truly believe this, guys. It's the most underrated unit out of all the offensive defenses in the college football playoff. You mentioned our efficiency. Yes, Oklahoma is first nationally in offensive efficiency. Got to give it to them. They're fantastic offensively. But we're not that bad either, guys. We're actually, believe it or not, everyone out there, we are third nationally in offensive efficiency. We're 18th in overall S&P plus offense. We're 8th in S&P rushing offense. Uh, We're 13th nationally at 6.7 yards per play. So, okay, no, our offense is not at Oklahoma's caliber, right? We're not there yet offensively. We probably never will be that type of offense. But we're really good at what we do, and no one's talking about that. And then if you look at the flip side, the Oklahoma defense that we will be matched up against, well, they're 68th nationally, giving up 5.5 yards per play, while we're 13th nationally, like I just said, at 6.7 yards per play. Uh, there's only, there, and I mentioned this on the Rose Bowl uh, by the numbers show, uh, but I'll say it again for some of you who might not have heard that show. There's only three teams this year that held us under 30 points. You got Auburn, Notre Dame, and South Carolina. Auburn's fifth nationally in S&P plus rushing defense. Notre Dame is 13th nationally in S&P rushing defense. And South Carolina, believe it or not, is actually 24th nationally in S&P rushing defense. Well, you know where Oklahoma ranks, Kurt? Where? 62nd. 62nd in S&P rushing defense. So they are nowhere near the type of defense 
that will be able to slow us down like an Auburn did, like a South Carolina did, like a Notre Dame. Now, South Carolina didn't really slow us down. We still had 242 yards on the ground against them, but they held the game relatively close, a two-touchdown game, you know, relatively speaking to the rest of the games we played throughout the year. So it's three teams that held us under 30 points. They were all three in the top 25 of S&P rushing defense. Oklahoma's not even close to sniffing that. They're 62nd. Again, like I said earlier, they're much closer to Missouri, who's 75th nationally in S&P rushing defense, than they are Notre Dame or Auburn or South Carolina. And oh, by the way, against Missouri, do you remember what we ran for? 370 um, yards. So say almost 400. Yeah, almost 400 yards. So that Oklahoma defense is much closer to Missouri than they are Auburn or South Carolina or Notre Dame. So again, I just this is the matchup I think that will ultimately decide the game. Uh, now, you mentioned a second ago how you would attack this. So, uh, you would attack the edges. I tend to agree with you. How, what else would you do in this game if you're Jim Cheney trying to figure out a way to attack this uh, Oklahoma defense? Um, I definitely agree with attacking the game. edges. Yeah, I think you would also go with the control passing game. Uh, dude, you, you and I are the same mind here, man, on both sides of the ball. I agree with you, man. Um, attack the edges for sure. Their linebackers from watching the tape here over the past couple weeks, they, they they are very athletic and they flow hard. They are very, very aggressive getting after the football. But saying that, they have a lot of trouble kind of sifting through the traffic. And their edge players in particular, they also really struggle to get off blocks. Uh, they've got one really good pass rusher. A guy's very explosive, Agbena Okoronkwo. He's got eight sacks in the year. He is their he is their go to pass rusher, but he's undersized. He's only two hundred forty pounds. So, Kerr, how do you when you get a, an elite pass rusher like that who's undersized? What do you do to him? You run right at him. Exactly, you run right at him. Like you said, run the edges, make him defend you uh, in, in the run game, make him set the edge. Because the best way to neutral, neutralize a guy like that is to do just that and see if he can hold up against the run. It also has the added benefit of wearing him down, which makes him less effective rushing the passer. And by the way, while he is a very good pass rusher, he's very explosive. He has not had one sack in the last five games. Kind of weird if you look at that. Uh, but I'm also with you. Attack the edges like we did against Auburn. But I also couple that with kind of what I call misdirection passes. I'm with you. Essentially what you would call a control passing game. And what I'm talking about is when I, when I say misdirection passes, I'm referring to like play action bootlegs. Take advantage of the aggressiveness of their linebackers and that backside pursuit because they do flow very hard, very aggressively. And if you take advantage of that and with some of those misdirection passes and those bootlegs, we will have the effect. It's going to have the effect of slowing down that pursuit, that flow, and it's going to open up ultimately more room for the run game. Uh, that's so. I think that's the way you attack them. And I think, of course, you're going to. We need to sprinkle in some vertical shots in there as well. Um, another area where they've kind of kind of struggled defensively, especially in the secondary, is playing 50-50 balls in the air. You know, TCU, Oklahoma State, even Texas has some success with those balls where you got big receivers, you just throw it up there, give them a chance on the back shoulder. If the guy's playing the back shoulder, you throw it over the top and let the receiver just go up there and try to make a play. So you've got a guy like Javon Wims at 6'4", 6'5", 220 pounds. Even Terry Gunn, who's not a huge guy, but has a really good job playing the ball in the air. He's got really good hands. I, I would definitely make sure we give our guys some shots that way. And I think um, Jake Fromm has, has shown throughout the year that he, that's really where he excels, throwing those 50-50 balls and giving his receivers a chance to make a play in the air. And Oklahoma struggles against those kind of looks. So I'd definitely sprinkle in some vertical shots as well. All right, but the last major narrative here, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm digging into a little bit more in depth here. The last narrative is this. Our best chance, is, uh, our best chance to win is to possess the football, slow the game down, and keep Baker Mayfield off the field. Are you buying that? Um, I am because I think, like I said, anytime you give Baker a chance, he's going to you're going to get him an opportunity to make things happen. 
I agree with you. I uh, I am buying this because, as you mentioned earlier, the probably the biggest thing that scares me more than anything about this Oklahoma offense is their ability to score quickly, uh, and that explosiveness, that uh, the explosive nature of this offense is is pretty horrifying. Um, so I think it's important for us to keep them off the field, play ball control. And this is it's, it's not like we're doing anything that we are not used to. I mean, that's kind of how we play anyway, is it not? Yeah. So it's not like we're doing we're asking our offense to do anything that's kind of uncharacteristic that we haven't done all year. This is kind of what we do. Uh, so I do buy this that we want to possess the football. I don't want to staff the football before you know ten uh, with ten, 10 or more seconds left on the clock throughout the entire game. I want us to bleed the clock as much as possible. I really do. I think it's going to be key this game. But saying that, I, I I do totally buy this. I really buy this narrative completely. But I don't think it's as simple as just saying, okay, we got to possess the football and slow the game down, keep them off the field. I I, I want to add to it what you were talking about earlier. We have to couple our ball control offense. We have to couple that with forcing them to sustain drives offensively. We just simply cannot give up big plays. If we force them to sustain drives, like you mentioned, like the Auburn game, the SEC title game is a perfect example, right? Where we force them to kind of sustain drives, then give up the huge plays. And then while they're in scoring position, well, you know, on third down, get a huge uh, strip sack, change the game like that. We have to do things like that because the more plays they have to run, the more opportunities there are for them to screw up. Right, if you have eight to ten play drives as opposed to three to four play drives, there's just more bad things that can happen for them. So I think it's really important for us to, to force them to sustain those drives and see if they can do that throughout the game, and that'll also kind of contribute to slowing the game down and will play more and more into our hands. All right, Kurt, let's uh, let's look at matchups here. We talked about a couple of these matchups already, but I want you to pick out one. If you had to pick out one matchup or one key to the game that will ultimately decide this game. What would you pick? Now, there's usually more than one thing that goes into the outcome of a game. If you had to pick up one, if you had to pick one matchup or one key that's going to be the deciding factor, what would you go with? I would say the turnover battle because if you go back to the Ohio State game, it was a very, very close neck and neck game until uh, JT Barrett threw. I want to say two picks, and that was what changed the course of that game. It was three three at halftime. I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and it was a very close game. Yeah. Barrett makes a two straight. And, you know, they score a touchdown, I believe. Then he throws a pick. Then they score another touchdown. I will say he throws another pick or another turnover. And that's when they really start to blow Ohio State out. Yeah, I, I, I was at, I was in uh, South Bend, Indiana when that game was being played. So I didn't see that game live. But over the past couple weeks, it's one of the games I kind of poured over. And, yeah, it was 3-3 at halftime. And you're right. And kind of just you threw, you, Barrett threw a couple picks. Uh, he's prone to doing big games. And uh, the rest was history. They, they totally capitalized on that. So I think – Especially, in, it's, it's always important when the tournament battle, but isn't it more important when you have two teams that are that are pretty equal talent wise? Oh uh, yeah, it is because that's that, that's the difference, really. I mean, if there's nothing else, it's going to be a close game. That's the only way you get to where they were. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, for me, uh, if I'm looking at one matchup now, again, there's there'll be multiple factors that that play into the outcome of this game. But if I had to pick up one really key match in this game that will just will play more into the, the the outcome of this game than anything else. I think it's probably our defensive line versus the Oklahoma offensive line. I really believe that it's going to be important for us to slow their ground game down on early downs with our front six without having to dedicate additional guys to the box because we talked about their explosiveness offensively. If we have to bring guys down the box and out of coverage, they're going to torch us. They're going to torch our secondary. Now, they'll be the, sure, can we hold up from time to time against them in man coverage? Sure, absolutely. But we can't do it down after down after down if we're having to dedicate guys to the box to slow down the running game. So I think it's really important for our front six. And I'm not saying front seven because with the way they spread the field, there we're not going to be in very many front seven looks. It's going to be a front six. I think if we can slow down their ground game on those early downs with that front six, 
It's going to allow us to maximize the safety help that we can provide our cornerbacks over the top, which will free us up to, to throw a variety of coverage at the Sooners, which will ultimately limit their ability to hit those explosive vertical plays that they really thrive on. And not to mention, it's also going to play into our hands by forcing them to sustain long drives to kind of to, to, to score and eat up valuable clock seconds. If, if we are able to slow them down with the front six and keep maximum uh, safety coverage deep uh, to help the, the corners in coverage, whether it's tight end in the seam, whether it's Marquise Brown on the outside, whoever it might be, that's going to help us limit their ability to hit the big plays, which will force them to kind of uh, to sustain drives and will eat up valuable clock time, which will, again, play right into our hands. So that, if there's one matchup, I think that's it. It's our, offense, our defensive line versus that offensive line. And if we, if we can win that matchup, I really, really, really like our chances. All right, Kurt, let's, uh, let's not waste any more time, and let's go ahead and throw the predictions out here. Uh, you guys know normally I go with a confidence meter because I just I, I it's I can never pick against us even if I feel like we're gonna lose. It's just not my DNA, but I don't want to be that guy who just always picks us to win every game. So to preserve my intellectual integrity, I go with a confidence meter. But today I'm throwing the confidence meter out, man. I'm going just like you, Kurt. I'm going with a full-on pick here. I've gone back and forth this game. My feelings have changed rather dramatically. Uh, since this game was announced. But before I get into my pick, I'm going to give you a chance here yourself, Kurt. What is your prediction for this game? All right. The one thing that I think is the big mystery right now is the weather report has been changing um, back and forth the last couple of days. Yeah. And last I read, it's was a 50% chance of rain, so I think that could have a big effect. I think if it does rain, then it goes more into our favor um, because of – it's gonna that's gonna become more of a ground game. But if it doesn't right now I see the uh Oklahoma winning a thirty five thirty one close one. I hate you, man. But no, I can't I can't argue with you too much there. Uh, honestly, when this game was first announced, I was completely on that bandwagon. I just I was like, I don't as good as our defense has been all year, I just don't know how we're gonna slow down this Oklahoma offense. I've watched them a lot throughout the year and they're just they're really good. I mean you guys you can down them all you want and you can try to mitigate all of what all their accomplishments throughout the year but this is this is a really good Oklahoma offense this is they're incredible they I mean average almost 600 yards a game they're crazy good um but I, I after watching the tape over the past couple of weeks I've kind of I've, I've changed my viewpoint in this game Kurt but before I get into my pick here what what is it what what's the the difference for Oklahoma what is it that puts them over the edge well, you kind of mentioned earlier, if we're relying on someone like Malcolm Parrish out there, then I, I don't feel safe. It's a hor- I really think that our secondary against their passing game is a horrible matchup. I really do. Yeah, because we yeah we have experience back there, but that experience has not played well the last couple games. If you really want to get down to it, our defense played better with Parrish out. He's been getting beat on the deep ball time and time again, and that's what really scares me. And if you now, and I know the naysayers out there are probably sitting there shaking their head. Well, our passing defense is incredible, and statistically, yes, our passing defense is really good. But we haven't played a team that throws like this. Exactly. Let me ask you, Chris. How many? They got their yards. How many competent passing offenses have we faced here? If you had to count them on one hand, how many would you say? Just Missouri, I'd say just one competent passing team. I mean, uh, Auburn's good, but they're not. They're not as good as Oklahoma or Missouri. I, I mean, I, I think I would say Auburn is a competent passing offense, okay? Yeah, they're competent, but they're not, I mean. I, th- I think really, though, I think Auburn and Missouri are the only two legitimate passing offenses that we have faced all year. I truly believe it. Now, if you look at the, the numbers, yes, we're sixth nationally in passing S&P uh, plus defense, which is great. It's fantastic. And we, we, we have played well for the most part against the pass. But again... Who have we played that can actually threaten us with the passing game? Maybe two two offenses. Maybe two. Maybe two. 
So, and we haven't seen, in, in, well, I think Missouri's offense is fantastic. They weren't, weren't quite humming at the level they are right now. Uh, and, they, and they had some big plays against us as well. And Oklahoma is, the, is Missouri's offense on steroids, right? They, they absolutely are. So that matchup, while statistically you want to say, yeah, well, we, we've played really well against the pass this year. We have not. I mean, we played Florida. We played Tennessee. We played Georgia Tech. Uh, we played Vanderbilt. All these teams cannot throw the football. They simply cannot throw the football. And you, can, you can throw Notre Dame in there. They run the ball like crazy. We did a heck of a job defending the run, holding them to 55 yards on the, when they were averaging 270-plus yards in the year. But Brandon Wimbush can't throw the football. We just really haven't been challenged in the way that Oklahoma's going to challenge us. So that, that matchup does scare me. Uh, I, I like DeAndre Baker out there. I like the experience we have. But like we said earlier, Malcolm Parrish, if he's out there consistently, that's concerning. Because there have been teams that have had success throwing the ball against him that are not even anywhere near the caliber of this Oklahoma passing game. So I'm with you, man. That, that's, that's, a, that's a very concerning matchup that we're going to have to find a way. We're going to have to find some answers for. But uh, So I, I really can't argue with it too much, Kirk, because for the longest time I felt the same way. There would be a tight game, uh, but Oklahoma would probably pull it out. But let me get into my prediction here. You guys can say all you want, that, like I said earlier, that Oklahoma has not seen a defense like ours. And to a degree, I guess that's statistically somewhat true, just not to the degree that many think. But like we were just going over there, you can also say the flip side is true as well. We have also not seen anything like the Oklahoma offense. They are as legit and dangerous as there is in the country. They will get theirs. I mean, I mean, we are good defensively. I, I keep saying that, but we are. We are good defensively, but they just have too many weapons, and they can score in too many ways for us to reasonably expect to dominate them. Like some of people in our fan base think that we're going to go out there and just dominate them. I just don't see that. But I will say this. I do think we are good enough to hold them in check. And again, I define in holding Oklahoma's offense in check as holding them under 450 yards in between 27 and 31 points. If we do that, I think we will give our offense a chance to win the football game. And that is where I think we win this game. If you look at it, like I said earlier, out of the offensive defensive units and all the teams in the college football playoff, our offense, again, I keep saying it, but I, I'm trying to beat this home because I believe it wholeheartedly. Our offense is the most underrated unit by far in the college football playoff, and the Oklahoma defense, in my opinion, is by far the worst unit of any team in the college football playoff. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think they are by far the worst unit of any offense or defense in the college football playoff. I do. Uh, now, we I went over this earlier, but again, we had our way offensively against teams with very similar statistical profiles to this Oklahoma defense, teams like Missouri, uh, teams like Kentucky. If, and also, we haven't mentioned this, but I, I want to. I think this bears mentioning. If Jake Fromm does what he has done all year and makes good decisions, he protects the football and gives our wide receivers a chance to make plays on those 50-50 balls, I really like our chances to put up some serious points on this Oklahoma defense. I think, really, this game is likely going to ultimately come down to which team can impose its pace on the game. Uh, Oklahoma trying to run the up-tempo pace and force us to play that style, or us trying to slow the game down and force Oklahoma to play that style and sustain drives. And I just think our offense against their defense is much more of a mismatch and matchup problem than the Oklahoma offense, as good as it is, that matchup in the Oklahoma offense and our defense. That's just really what it comes down to for me. So if I had if I had to put a number on it right now, I'm going to say Georgia 37-30. I'm probably wrong, but that's what I'm going with right here. I mean, really watching the tape over the past couple weeks and watch this Oklahoma defense up front, it's just, it's just – I don't know how they're going to slow us down. I really don't. I, and I don't know how we're going to slow them down either. But, I, again, I just think the matchup, our offense and their defense is more of a mismatch than their offense versus our defense at the end of the day. 
I hope to God I'm right. We'll see. I don't know. All right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. We really appreciate all of you, again, tuning in to listen to the show today. Uh, we'll all see how this plays out, man, when Kurt and I will be back uh, heading out heading out to the game this weekend. but uh, So it might be a day or two late getting the show up, the recap show, uh, depending on when we get in and how all that works out. But we'll have that for you early next week. By Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll have that show up for you, recapping. Right? Hopefully we'll be recapping and win. God willing, please, Jesus, Heavenly Father above Almighty, please let us do this. Uh, but make sure to check back with us early next week. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.